In putting effort into not having this sense of hierarchy where my one relationship gets to control the other or always takes precedence over it, that we can sometimes feel like, oh, well, I need to show this new person who I've maybe only been dating a few months or or less, right, or a fairly short amount of time relatively, that they are have just as much priority or, or power in my life or whatever that is, or that they have the potential for that. And I actually think sometimes we can cause more problems by doing this, because if you think about it, you're saying, hey, look, you, you, you're, you, you're just as important to me as this other person, or you're, you're just, you know, there's no hierarchy here, you're equal to me. But in practice, you have five years of history and trust and, you know, consistency and inside jokes and all of these things that make our relationship special, right? And I think that when we try to almost like accelerate this second relationship up to that speed, it, it's not genuine. It, it doesn't have that same foundation. It's not the same. And so I think it's something worth considering as another approach might be to try not to overpromise this new person in terms of how what you know primary feeling of a partner they will be right away and instead kind of let it be something that is a little more casual and more new probably like your other relationship was when you first started dating Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're back again answering questions submitted to us by our Patreon community. This week, we will be discussing the challenges of navigating nesting with a partner, finding a community, ways to prevent a partner from feeling secondary, and much more. If you would like to submit a question and get some personalized feedback. I don't even want to call it advice because like we're not your therapists and we'll we'll talk about that more in a second here. But if you have something specific in your life that you would like to have discussed on the show, becoming a patron and posting a question on one of our monthly requests for questions is a great way to do that. I've been really enjoying doing these Q&A mm. episodes. I have too. I, I think yeah. I was talking about this pretty recently, but I'm I'm all about the intersection of ideals with reality. And I feel like on our show, although we try to give very practical and actionable advice as best as we can, sometimes it's also really helpful to hear from people's real world experiences, right? Totally. And the stuff that they're bumping into or running into. And I love being able to speak to that where it's not just talking about an ideal situation in a vacuum, but how these things play out when the rubber meets the road. Yeah. And going along with what we were saying before, too, our quick disclaimer that we always want to make with these is that one, you know, we're, we're not your therapist. And also, you know, your life and your decisions better than anyone else does, even if it is your therapist. So ultimately, you know, make the decisions that are right for you. 
whether we say so or not. Uh, and then two is that we're only getting this tiny little snippet of these stories, right? So it's possible that we totally misread it. Uh, you know, we do our best to try to get a sense of what the context is around these. But the point of it more is to have some things to think about, some, you know, some, some things to look at, things to consider. Uh, and so with that, let's just get right into it. Yeah. So our first question is about nesting. And this person asks, my partner Meta and I are navigating nesting in a whole new way for us. Could you all talk about different styles of nesting, specifically ones that involve having multiple homes? I just could we really quickly define nesting for oh, people? Oh, sure. Just, just in case they're not sure. Yeah, that's a good question. I I think nesting it, immediately what comes to mind for me is living in a home of some sort with a partner. Although I know that the two of you were nomadic really truly for quite a few years and didn't have a very specified home base. And yet I would argue whenever you came together, you were nesting together wherever that might be, but it wasn't in a one specific location at all times. Although now that that has changed. Yeah, I think the definition is also a little bit slippery based on the ways that people use it, because sometimes people use the term nesting partner to just refer to this is the person that I'm cohabitating with, mm -hmm. just living with. Other people use it to refer to it's not just about cohabitation, but it's also about we are going to entwine finances. Maybe we will choose to get legally entwined in some way. So I, I do think there's maybe a little bit of wiggle room with the definition, but I think the overlap tends to be that like we are building a nest, a physical nest together, as in we're building a place where we live together and creating, yeah, like some kind of co-habitated home base. I also would add that it's then a little more intentional. We're intentionally building a space for us versus, you know, maybe we're roommates who live with other roommates too, that you could say, oh, we're nesting as well, but maybe nesting even in that context would mean we now share a bedroom or we're doing something to kind of more intentionally build a space that's meant for us. I feel like, again, it all just depends on context and you could use it a bunch of different ways, but that's what comes to mind at least if, if someone were to say nesting or when they wouldn't, you know. This person is specifically asking about styles of nesting that involve having multiple homes. And I, I mean, it's sort of the opposite of that, but I thought immediately of Kiana, our researcher who has denested away from her partner and lives in a different home from her, her partner who she's married to. And that I think is a potential option for people that you have your own space. And if that is the case, then maybe nesting would mean something entirely different than this sort of more traditional idea of what it means and what I said at the beginning. Sure. I think that can be distinguished a little bit, though, from just we live in separate places, right? So we may decide, yes, we live in separate places, but perhaps we're still going to choose to financially entangle mm. when it comes to the care and upkeep of those places or paying the rent. You know, I've definitely known some people who do that. Right. So I think that this is speaking to like nesting in a sense that's less about the physical tangible we're living together, but a little bit more about the, the system 
that we're living in. I think the to go to the opposite extreme is, you know, stuff you hear about with like communes or co-living or intentional communities, you know, where people may choose to pool their resources. And instead of it being like, oh, we're all going to buy one home together, it's we're going to buy or rent multiple places. Or maybe we even have the means to buy property with multiple structures on it for for multiple people. Or I think maybe even the more informal version, which is just like, I, I don't know, maybe we rent out two apartments or three apartments in the same building together or something like that. And that can be our version of nesting within like multiple living places. This one also an interesting dynamic to add to this one is that they're specifically saying my partner, my metamor and I mm-hmm. implying that mm-hmm. this is also a V type of relationship, yeah. right? Where their partner is dating both of them, but this person and their metamor I don't quite know the context of their relationship, but to make this question interesting, could assume that they're maybe not as closely entwined with each other. You know, still probably close and and still get along if they're asking this question at all, but maybe less so. And so that question about multiple homes could also be something like, how does our shared partner sort of nest with both of us? And how do we navigate that in a way that feels fair too? Because that's an interesting thing when you think about the finances of it, of say, maybe partner, you know, partner one, the question asker has a place or, or could get a place. And then the, their metamor would have their own place. Then is it, okay, we work out a way so that I pay two thirds of mine and Metamore pays two thirds of theirs. And then you shared partner pay one third of each mm-hmm. so that, you know, cause you don't have your own own place or that that is an interesting question to bring up. And then of course that could be adjusted based on relative incomes of the different people and things like that as well. But as kind of a starting point for exploring that as an option could be interesting. We know a person in our community who's been on the show before that lived for a long time with their metamor and they nested together. They weren't in a romantic relationship, but they were friends Mm. and they lived together. And now they live with their shared partner as well as with one another, which is really interesting. I think that dynamic Mm. is fascinating how, you know, metamors can become so close that they decide to cohabitate and then finally everyone gets together in a more communal living situation. Yeah. I think what Jace was speaking to was, I guess what I've unofficially dubbed nomadic nesting. Mm. And that's because that was something I was doing actually for several years up until quite recently was like both of my partners had kind of a more established home base or more stable, consistent living situation. And so and I didn't necessarily. And so I kind of nomaded back and forth between both of those. And I think that there are pros and cons to that, right? I know for myself, I actually honestly really enjoyed that because for me, it was kind of like getting a little bit of that, like I get to have two nests and two <laughs> home bases and and get to have a little bit of influence on both of them. And that's really nice. And and yeah, we would, I would like work out with each person essentially how the rent would work out, right? And what would seem fair based on everyone's relative income and, and how often I'm there and things like that. The cons being that, you know, uh, I don't know how to say this, but basically, you know, the person who's apartment it is or whose home base it is, they do carry a little bit more influence overall on 
how the space is, right? And so for me, sometimes it's having to be a little bit more flexible about kind of like just fitting myself into their home, you know, like wanting there to be space there for me, obviously, but I wouldn't necessarily have the kind of direct control over the space that I would if it was a place that I myself owned or if I was the main person on the lease. But to bring it back to the question asker, Again, I don't know how many home bases are involved here, if it's two or three for each person or whatever. But I think an interesting question to ask is thinking about, do we want to create a situation where regardless of what home base we're at, like there is some space for everyone, you know? And so maybe that involves for you, like not only am I thinking about space for my partner when my partner is here, but also space for my meta. If my meta wants to swing by or if the three of us are hanging out, this is going to be down to the type of polyamory or non-monogamy that you're practicing, what everyone's comfortable with. But, you know, I do think that's part of nesting is it's not just about you come over and you're my guest, but it's like, we're creating a little bit of a space together and maybe the meta gets invited into that a little bit. Right. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. That giving some say, like you were saying, some kind of power over this is how the place is structured, even just to a certain extent, right? Like if you have the means to, like they have their own room where they kind of have control over what furniture and what stuff's in there. I mean, we, you know, we never had that luxury of, you know, Dedeker has a whole room that I never touch when she's gone or something. That's, Boy, that's wouldn't, not, wouldn't that be the dream? That though? would be cool. Yeah. yeah. It's your, your wing of the house. You can decorate that. However <laughs> you want. Yeah. That would My be floor cool. Of the house would be ideal. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That'd yeah, be that'd fun. Be very cool. But, but <laughs> right, anyway, I do oh, think that, that just, sorry, just to come back to that, I do think that idea of having some influence over the space that that's a really good note that you hit there Dedeker as a way to look at it of whatever those spaces are thinking about that. It's not just about having your stuff there or having a place to be, but also having some influence over how does this place feel? How do I shape this place? How do I help decorate this place? That kind of thing might make a How big do I take responsibility for cleaning this place? That also, side too, instead yes. of I just go crash at my partner's place and then leave and they're always on the hook for like cleaning up after me in the bathroom and stuff like or the kitchen or stuff like that even repairs and maintenance potentially could be part Mm -hmm. of that as well so yeah lots of logistical things to think about Alrighty, let's move on to our next question my girlfriend and i are very in love and currently long distance i feel excited about building a future together For example, moving to be in the same city, living together, etc. But she is not much of a planner and finds thinking about the future hard. I don't think these are steps to be taken soon or lightly, but I think this imbalance is causing my jealousy to flare up. And they essentially also add this little note that I think I'm getting attached to one version of the future, which involves life building with her, but I feel competitive with her other possible futures. Fascinating. Whoa. I love the idea that the multiverse. Yeah. yeah. I'm, 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 I'm jealous or competitive about the other multiverse version. So yeah. that's great. <laughs> I, I just want to swoop in right away, just first, before even responding to the actual question, just to affirm and validate this note that they include about I feel like I, you know, I'm getting attached to thinking about the future to Mm. one version of the future. And I think my jealousy is flaring up. Yeah. I just want to validate that. Yeah. I think knowing that my partner is committed to me enough that they're, they want to be there in the future and that we want to have a vision together and we want to build something together and using that 
as a place where you ground your sense of security, I think is totally legitimate. And so I think it totally makes sense why if all you're getting is question marks or avoidance or hesitation to talk about it, it could definitely bring up that, uh, like that freak out. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I really can relate to this question really hard in the past, uh, not in my current life, but for several years, feeling like I could never pin Dedeker down on anything about her future. Moving target, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because, you know, it was a big time of transition and, you know, exploring herself and trying to find her identity and stuff. Like there was a lot of things going on, which I was understanding about and got, but also, yeah, it was really frustrating to be like, but I don't know what I can plan on. I don't know what I can kind of think about or, or fantasize about, or, or even mm-hmm. kind of prepare for or something because anytime, you know, we try to have those conversations, her answer would be that sort of, I just, I just don't know. I can't, I can't think that far ahead. I like really intentionally right now need to not feel like I'm on the hook for some particular plan that for her at that time, that was really important. And I just want to say, first of all, that I really can relate to the, that, that like frustration and insecurity and stuff that can come up in that situation. I think, yeah, my, my partner and Dedeker also are very much chewers and, For those of you who don't know what that is, we did an episode on chewers and spewers, which is essentially internal and external processing. And I really also like to think about future planning and just kind of spitballing, throwing some ideas out there, thinking about what could be, and it, it certainly doesn't need to be definitive, but I think when you get into a situation with people that aren't as interested in doing that kind of exploration in that way and really have to think harder and longer about what it is that they want. And they don't want to necessarily voice that until it is very definitive in their mind. To me, this almost seems like that kind of situation potentially. I don't know. I mean, future planning, perhaps this person just isn't that interested in it right now. They're not in a point in their life where future planning is something that does interest them and that's okay. But I, I do get it. Um, I don't know. Uh, gosh, I mean, time may change mm. that for sure. And maybe just at this particular moment in time, uh, the your partner may not be interested in that, which is too bad. Yeah, yeah I, I think that that's a good point. I, I think that maybe even being able to bring a sense of both compassion and curiosity as to what's going on with your partner about not wanting to talk about the future. Cause there could be so many reasons True. behind it. It could be everything from, I'm just so overwhelmed right now because right now I'm in the process of like applying for a job or whatever. And so that's all I can think about. I can't think about beyond the next few months or whatever, all the way up to it could be like, Oh, I have a pathological fear of the future. Like, I don't yeah. know what it is, but you can have some curiosity around that. And speaking of bringing curiosity and compassion, if you if your partner is open to it you know you can create i think the conditions for a conversation that maybe isn't as scary so mm-hmm. as in you can open up the channel for the two of you to talk about future dreams goals might feel a little too concrete just kind of like the vision or the things that you would like or the things that you fantasize about or things that you dream about but the important thing being that in this conversation, you're both very 
intentional about we're not going to make any decisions. We're not going to plan anything. And also no one's going to ask the other person, oh, well, how is this going to work? Hmm. Oh, you have a dream of like maybe going back to grad school. Well, how's it going to work? Where do you think you're going to go? How are you going to pay for it? You know, like, like don't even get into any of the logistics. Like it's literally just about let's share our dreams with each other and just get excited about that and think that's cool because the planning, the decision-making, the asking how can always happen later. And so I'm also wondering of maybe it's that with this partner who doesn't want to talk about it. It's just like, I'm not in a place to make decisions or I haven't thought about all the logistics of how I want the future to look, but they probably have some sense of what they would like in the future or the near future. Very few of us are truly walking around in this completely present enlightened state where the only thing that exists is this present moment, right? (laughs) Even though I'm sure we would like to be a little bit more enlightened in that particular way. But, and I think that that could be challenging for the question asker, because if you're already feeling a little insecure or a little jealous, it might be tempting to want to grasp at something secure, right? Mm-hmm. To grasp at something mm-hmm. solid. Can I at least get my partner to to commit to, ooh, this is where it's going to be in the next five years, right? And so I think it is going to, this type of conversation would definitely be a stretch and a learning curve. But I do think that if the two of you could hit that kind of magic sauce type of conversation, it could actually set you up for much better conversations in the future when it is talking more about things that are more concrete. I also don't know, I don't know if there was anything in particular that I did at the time that helped with this, but I will say that looking back on it, that time did lead to a lot of change and exploration for me of myself during Mm -hmm. that. For example, you know, going through first being more uncomfortable and then eventually becoming more comfortable with living on my own and and having sort of more of my own space and not necessarily tying so much of my sense of identity and security to future plans, which is very much the habit that we're taught, right? It's that idea of you know, a secure, meaningful relationship. You gotta settle down. Yeah, 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 you gotta settle down, do the relationship escalator type stuff. And and even if we are intellectually aware that that's not necessarily something we want to do or that that we think makes relationships valuable, that that programming's still in there. And I do know that that was something for me that it was unfortunately kind of a painful process of letting go of some of that because there's that frustration and, you know, not wanting that to affect my relationship and wanting to try to be more in the moment. But I do find that for me, that was actually a really helpful thing that has helped kind of all of my, my dating life since then to have more of a sense of being able to, I guess, be present to what's there rather than trying to even subconsciously shape it into a particular thing. And I I don't know how helpful that is to this person right now, but maybe if you listen again to this episode in, you know, two or three years, you'll be like, Oh yeah, totally. I get that too. I don't know. (laughs) Hopefully that is helpful though. And maybe gives another way to think about it too, of, of this is a chance to do some more of that deprogramming. If you think that might be what's going on. Should All right, shall we, yeah, shall we jump on to the next one? Yeah. Okay. I'm a straight man, have been calling myself Polly since February, but have realistically leaned toward non-monogamy for most of my dating life. I currently have no other partners besides my primary, while she is part of a thruple involving a man and a woman. 
I'm trying to make peace with the insecurities that come with my female partner generally getting more attention than me, which I recognize is probably just a fact of poly life. In addition, I'm not particularly kinky and do not consider myself queer, so I've been having a challenging time finding community as a straight poly man. It's been getting better, but I find that I still feel a lot of insecurity about this, even though I know this is right for me. All hosts, but particularly Jace as the male host. (laughs) How did you handle these insecurities when you started out? Do you have any practical tips for finding a poly community you fit into when just starting out? Well, Jace, you do, you are a man. This you are true. not a straight man, but, but you are a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I will say as the resident yeah. guest expert on men, right. Guest what's your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guest. I love that. That means you you guys will take care of the next episodes for the, right. know, the next yeah, few months. You've been a guest this whole time, yeah. actually <laughs> just a very long running guest host. Wow. That's why Here's the credits of multi Amory are always, you know, starring Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, <laughs> and special guest, Jace Lindgren. <laughs> a special appearance by... Amazing. <laughs> yeah, and then at the end, it's, you know, like, Jace appears courtesy of MGM Records or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, so great question. And I think that it is something that kind of is part of a, this even bigger question of finding community. And it it is a hard thing, right? Because on the one hand, if the communities that you're looking at are very uh, like meeting people to date centric, I do find there tends to be a lot of resistance or skepticism of any single man who enters those sorts of Mm. communities. And, you know, I don't think I don't think that people are wrong to be skeptical of that, even though it really sucks and it, and it hurts people like this and it's, and you know, and it's not fair and it's a bummer, but I also understand why, because there is kind of this more predatory way of being that men are socialized to do. Right. And, um, you know, anyway, just that. So, so saying, first of all, if it's a community that is very dating and meeting people for that purpose focused, I think that's not going to be a great community to, to start with, to try to build your community. So, so if what I mean by that is if it's like, this is a meetup group for like poly cocktails or something like that, I, I would say that's not the best type of community to join as a straight man or just as a single man at all, really. Uh, and I know you're not single, so you have that going for you here, actually. But if it's like if you're going without your partner, sometimes that can be a little challenging. So in that way, I would say anything you can do to find groups that are more focused on discussion or maybe a related hobby or something like that, if you can find something that lines up with your interests, right? Like if it's board games or, you know, tabletop games or even dance or any number of things, right? If there's some other interest too, that can go a long way because then it's not that there's this pressure of, well, what do I think that you want from me? And instead can be a little bit more about, no, we're here to do this other thing, whether it's discussion or whatever. And we get to meet people and and build some relationships while we're doing that. That would tends to be my starting advice for people looking to really to anyone, not just straight men, but to anyone looking to join a poly community is to really steer away from dating focused groups at first. 
and instead try to find ones that, if anything, de-emphasize that for the purpose of sort of building some of that community first. So that when you go into those other spaces, there are some people who are like, oh yeah, I do know this person. I know this person's a real human being and I've had conversations with them and they're not just here thinking that they're going to get laid easily or something like that. Yeah, I I love what you said about finding common interests in other ways, because I think we've had people on the show discussing the fact that polyamory shouldn't necessarily be like the one thing that you have in common or the most interesting thing about you. Um, and rather, you should be trying to find common things that occur outside of that. And I think in terms of dating, that's tended to be where... I find the most interesting people in communities. So I realized because I live in Los Angeles, I have won the postcode lottery, as Lola Phoenix said in her episode with us. I So I get that, but I do think that there are a lot of people out there who are maybe interested in being polyamorous or treading those waters and if you find things that you are also interested in doing, you may become fortunate enough to find other people who are interested in potentially dating you at some point or another. But then, you know, it doesn't become that predatory question of I'm coming here to date to find someone to do those things with. But instead, I'm going to hang out with people to involve myself in yoga, dance, a community theater, whatever. I mean, that's a great place to meet people. Let me tell you <laughs> stuff like that. You know, it, yeah, I think there true. are so many options out there that don't necessarily require finding community specifically polyamorous. To jump back into just the community thing more generally, I think something else to keep in mind, and this was advice that my mom gave me in high school. And I don't think really sank mm. in for like 10 years after that, but, uh, was this idea of realizing that basically everyone else is just as worried about what you think about them as you are in what they think about you. And kind of this idea of the way this applies to these sorts of social situations is that it's awkward and weird and kind of scary for everybody and maybe more mm -hmm. so for some people than others, but that that's there, right? That that's there for all of it. And so if you're able to go into some of those with as much of a mental shift as possible of, you know, go to some of these events. And my goal here is one, I just want to find people who are interesting to talk to. And, and my objective is not any kind of dating at all to start out first. Two is going in and, and my goal is I want to come away where other people felt good. You know, they mm. felt good about themselves. They felt heard. They felt listened to. So, you know, things like asking more questions and letting them speak more than you do, things like that. That sometimes when we want to make friends, it's kind of like if you go to a, a professional networking event and everyone's just going on and on about all their accomplishments and why they're so great. And you see that that one person who goes around and just seems really interested in what everyone else is doing. That's the person that everyone remembers from that event and wants to connect with. Right. I, I was just at a networking sort of event and there's this one guy who's that's kind of become his thing is he's just the guy that knows everybody and everybody knows him, 
because he's just so engaging and so giving and so generous with his time and connecting people and really interested in what you're doing and just right away starts from a place of, I like you and I want to help you. How can I help you? And that's, lovely. that's, you know, work context. But I do think there's parts of that that can get applied in these sorts of joining a community, building a community thing is, is doing that. And it also just feels good. Right. So even then you kind of, kind of come away feeling like, Oh yeah, that was a neat, more positive experience than hoping someone likes me. It's more about, let me try to make people feel good. And I know this is just sort of general social advice and I'm not always good at taking this advice because I get very nervous around people that I don't know, but it is really helpful when I can remind myself and when I can go in with that mindset from the start makes the whole situation actually less stressful and, and easier, at least in my experience. Well, before we move on with additional Patreon questions, we wanted to take a second to talk to you about some of the ways that you can support our show. We have loved doing this show for these last eight years and giving you all this content out there for free, but to do that, we have ads and we have sponsors. So if you can take the time to listen to some of them, we would really appreciate it. If there's anything out there that you are interested in, go check it out because it helps directly support this show. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. And we're back. So our next question here is about secondary partners. How can I prevent new partners from feeling secondary. Okay. So I said it's about secondary partners, but it's about not, not having them feel secondary. secondary, (laughs) So how can I prevent new partners from feeling secondary? I have no intention of a primary secondary structure. I more closely follow relationship anarchy, but I have a partner I've been with for five years and I understand why new partners may feel secondary. So I'd love advice on how to help them feel secure without exclusivity Also, and this sort of maybe we'll come back to this, but also, is there a way to cohabitate without creating feelings of primary secondary? I guess I'm assuming they mean cohabiting with the primary partner, because that also adds that extra level of primary feeling with the initial that yeah yeah with with the the first partner partner. with a partner yeah Yeah, yeah. because there it says that they align more closely with relationship anarchy yeah. This is always a question, right? Like, how do you make sure that you don't make somebody else feel secondary? And I think we've talked about that a lot on this show. It is sort of in the approach of how you treat the other person that it's never about, well, I have all of these prescribed things that 
my one partner gets to do simply because they've been around longer. And instead, like, you also might be invited to that work thing in addition to or in place of my partner who I've been with for a longer period of time. I think that can be included in little ways like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to put you on my Facebook or TikTok profile. Is there a TikTok profile no, picture? Emily, no, no. <laughs> I don't know, guys. I'm old. It's fine. Um, things like that. I And yeah, not and not just limiting the scope in which a person is out in your life to only, you know, the person who's been around the longest. I think all of those little things make a big impact over a period of time, for sure. Yeah, I mean, again, I think this is a tricky thing because the fact that, of course, if you're choosing to cohabit or nest with someone, that means that there is automatically at least like a logistical hierarchy, right, of just by default, we're going to spend more time together because we live together. So chances are, if like, if I get sick, Mm. even if my partner is like busy working or whatever, but I'm still hanging out with them, you know, like the person that I live with, right? So I think probably the first place that I would go, well, this is the first place. Actually, let me, okay. Here's the first place place. that I would go. Okay. (laughs) Second place place. God bless it. The first place that I would go would be to ask your partner, how do I help you feel secure without Mm. exclusivity? You know, ask them. These are great questions, even when you're still getting to know each other, when you're still developing. Great questions to ask, right? You know, like, because you don't know. Like, there could be just some assumptions about what makes your partner feel more secure, but there may be something different. So I think asking them about how you can help them feel more loved, more available, a safe person, someone who's going to be there even within this particular context while you're, let's say, living with somebody else is really important. Second place that I would go, maybe first place, I don't I don't know. Now I'm getting all confused. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it is important, like Emily talked about, to sort of check yourself. Like, hmm. do the best that you can to get real with yourself about are there things that I am doing by default that I'm not even thinking about because I have this nesting partner, right? So without even thinking about it, if my nesting partner is like, oh, I don't know, actually, I thought I was going to go out tonight, but I think I'm going to stay in tonight. And you're like, oh, great. I'll stay in too. I'll also cancel my plans. Like, do you just do that by default? Even if your partner didn't even straight up ask you, you know, and I think that there can be a lot of little things, little subtle things. And it's hard because our culture is so set up to encourage this kind of behavior of treating your cohabiting partner as like the most important relationship in your life. And therefore just it's say, the one that everything defaults to. This person doesn't say that their partner five years cohabits with them, but they still... Well, but they asked about cohabitation though. So that's, that's why I true. Is there a way in. to cohabitate without creating feelings? Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess I had thought immediately like, oh, maybe they're thinking of cohabiting. Yeah, And just this possible. is abstract, but who knows? Who knows? This is good advice for anyone. I would love to... cohabiting or not. ...to give some very different advice to consider as Whoa. well. Whoa. Cool. Whoa. Yeah. Do it. Real that's different. there's three of us. I want to I want to approach this actually from an opposite direction because this is something that I struggled with a lot for for many years um and it sometimes still comes up but what I found is that sometimes that in that 
inputting effort into not having this sense of hierarchy where my one relationship gets to control the other or always takes precedence over it, that we can sometimes feel like, oh, well, I need to show this new person who I've maybe only been dating a few months or or less, right? Or a fairly short amount of time, relatively, that they are have just as much priority or, or power in my life or whatever that is, or that they have the potential for that. And I actually think sometimes we can cause more problems by doing this. Because if you think about it, you're saying, hey, look, you, you, you're, you, you're just as important to me as this other person, or you're, you're just, you know, there's no hierarchy here, you're equal to me. But in practice, you have five years of history and trust and, you know, consistency and inside jokes and all of these things that make our relationship special, right? And I think that when we try to almost like accelerate this second relationship up to that speed, it, it's not genuine. It, it doesn't have that same foundation. It's not the same. And so I think it's something worth considering as another approach might be to try not to overpromise this new person in terms of how what you know primary feeling of a partner they will be right away and instead kind of let it be something that is a little more casual and more new probably like your other relationship was when you first started dating so just to throw that out there as something to think about i actually think i caused more hurt by trying to to kind of accelerate that second relationship to that same level than if I'd just been like, no, yeah, I, I don't have a ton of time and this isn't going to feel the same as my other relationship. And that's not because that other one will always take precedence over you or because they have some, like they can make rules that control you, but just because I've known them longer in the same way that I trust a friend that I've known for years and years more than I trust a new friend that I made, even if I do really like this new friend and I'm into hanging out with them. So just, just something to consider and explore if that might be something that could apply in your life too. It's a hot take, Jace. I know, real hot, hot takes today. Hot, <laughs> hot off the, the press. <laughs> you know, hot off the griddle. We don't all have to agree. I think that's fine. And <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, no I, think that's I think that's actually a very valid point. Yeah, I yeah. think that's good advice. So our penultimate question is, how do I go about having sex again after a prolonged period of not doing so? As a demisexual, I just have not been feeling very sexual for a bit. I have negotiated two beautiful relationships with new partners this year, and we have yet to jump into the sexual realm. Cool. I am now feeling... Like in your D&D campaign. I know. Sexual yeah. <laughs> Yes. I am now feeling the desire to be sexual with them, but I just don't know where to start. I've never been here before where I just feel stuck. Do we just schedule time for sex? Where do we begin? Ah, help. <laughs> Emily, you're reading it's of good, that. It's good sell on the screen. <laughs> ah, help. <laughs> uh, it's like what Siri would say. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <help>. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have some thoughts about this. Uh, again, I'll, I'll drop in the disclaimer that I'm not demisexual. I don't think any of us identify on the A spectrum. I think we're all pretty allosexual, at least as far as we know and have investigated at this point. So we don't have definite like direct lived experience here and we're also not sex therapists. So take all this with a grain of salt. But the experience I have had though is even though I'm maybe sexual with one partner or two partners, the idea of being sexual with a new person 
either for like, I've gone through a dry spell of like not sleeping with anyone new or not really being exploratory or just not feeling like it. Right. And then sometimes if that opportunity comes along, it's, it can be weird. It can be awkward. It can be scary, honestly, especially for myself coming with like a, a PTSD background for a long time. I wasn't having sex with anybody new because there was just a lot of trauma around that. And so then when I was at that point, when I was ready to open up that channel again, as it were, it definitely was confusing and awkward and weird. And I had to navigate a lot of stuff. So that's my own personal context that I bring to this. But I think a good place to start, I mean, this person says, I am now feeling the desire to be sexual with these two people. And I think that's your entry point of curiosity, right? I I think, and this is something you do on your own. You don't necessarily need to talk to your partners about this until later, but just getting curious about, okay, where does that desire live in my body? What comes up in my brain? Like just where's your energy moving towards? And it's okay for it to either look non-traditional or be weird. You know, it could just be like, actually, my desire to be sexual just involves naked cuddling. That's as far as I've gotten. And that's totally fine. You know, it doesn't have to be, okay, I have a desire to be sexual. So that means it has to be anything goes or it has to be a particular type of sex, right? Um, So I think that just getting curious about what sounds nice (laughs) in my body and it doesn't have to look the way that we define sex to be. As far as the question about do we schedule time for sex, you know, I think that if for you putting in that structure feels supportive, like it feels nice if I'm like, okay, I'm going to negotiate with my partner, let's set aside this time to start exploring some of this. If that feels good, great. It could also backfire and put a lot of pressure on that particular moment to perform or for it to go a particular way. So I think, yes, lean into structure if that feels supportive, but make sure that it's very well understood by yourself and by your partner, partners, that it's always okay to back out. It's okay for it to look a different way. It's okay for negotiation. It's okay for us to stop 15 minutes in and completely change, you know, that it's okay for anything to happen without consequences. And I don't just mean like, oh, I say no. And then my partner is like a horrible consent violator and forces me to do things. I'm talking about no consequences as in you realize 15 minutes in, ooh, actually, I don't know if I'm ready to do anything more. I just want to stay like this. And your partner isn't like outwardly frustrated or pouting or disappointed or it becomes a point of contention, right? You know, so that's going to be more individual to your relationships with your partners. But but just that, you know, negotiating together and like how can we create a really nice little nest just to start taking steps toward that and give constant feedback to each other and communication and making sure that we can receive that from each other. I think if it were me, I know those are some of the things that really helped me back in the day of just getting really honest about what I wanted and what I needed and having it be okay for it to be a little bit odd or non-traditional really, really helped me. So I think that's where I would begin. Do y'all have anything that you would add to that? I think it's great. I, I think yeah, the- that's great. The idea of setting aside time for it, but it's time where 
nothing in particular has to happen is really good. Because I'm thinking about this from the other side of having dated a couple people on the ACE spectrum. And that seemed to be the way was setting aside enough time for it, because otherwise you just won't ever do it. Right. Mm. So it's kind of like getting yourself in that headspace of, okay, we're going to open ourselves up to this and, and see what happens. But then also this idea of, and, and also nothing in particular does have to happen, right? It could just be maybe just touching a little more than we normally do. And that's it, right? It, it could also be that, but just, I do think setting aside some time for it helps though. Cause then I guess the hope is by setting aside time, you're able to sort of get yourself in that mood and maybe preserve your energy during the day or kind of prepare yourself in a way. But then by not having a particular expectation of how it has to look, hopefully avoid that turning into, and I'm anxious about it, that instead it can be sort of the best of both worlds. Like I can kind of get myself in that sense, but also nothing has to happen. And that's cool too. Alrighty, let's move on to our final question, which is, how do y'all recognize when you're polysaturated? How much of it is lack of interest in additional relationships because you feel fulfilled with your current relationship landscape? How much is being aware that you're at capacity and can't offer the time and energy needed to establish and maintain a relationship? Does it depend on what type of relationship you're considering? For instance, would you describe yourself as polysaturated when you might be open to a comet or friends with benefits, but not open to a more enmeshed type of relationship? That's definitely getting kind of into semantics, but I think those are interesting questions to ask because, yeah, I've known people who are polysaturated at two partners. I've known people who, you know, have a, a few partners that they're really deep in very intense relationships with, but also have perhaps one or two comet friends with benefit type partners, but then also are interested in dating and going out on dates every week, like people to that level. So it is extremely specific and personal for the, the person. And I think that it changes over time in one's life, because certainly I know the two of you have talked about how, you know, you feel more like this particular moment in your life is less about dating and more about working and, and, you know, do dealing with the established relationships that you already have and friendships. I think that to me is the kicker is that your life should also include people that are not ones that you're necessarily being romantic or sexual with ideally. And, and if for some reason that's starting to not happen or those relationships have kind of fallen off by the wayside, to me, that is a clue into potentially you being a bit more polysaturated or, or on, on the end of that spectrum, like, okay, maybe maybe I should not date at this particular moment and just uh, be in the relationships with the people that I'm with. That's where I would go. What about the two of you? I love you pointing that out. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. I agree, and yeah. it reminded me of um, Martha Cowpey, who we had on the podcast last year, her book, she has specifically an exercise that she gives to her clients, which I now also give to my clients. And the exercise is specifically about NRE. So it's a little bit 
parallel to this, but the whole exercise is about essentially making a plan for when you're in NRE. Mm. And it involves asking a lot of questions of things like, what are the things like the activities, hobbies, projects that I currently have in my life that I want to keep in my life? Who are the important people in my life right now? Not just partners, but family, friends that I want to stay connected to. How do I want my partners to feel about our non-monogamy? How do I want to feel about my non-monogamy? To sort of tease out what are your values and what's really most important to you so that even when someone new and shiny comes along, you have that body of information that can either a help you make decisions about your behavior and your commitments, right? So that even though this person is super exciting and I have this chemical cocktail in my brain, I can still, you know, enjoy having my head in the clouds, but still have my feet on the ground. Mm. Or I think it could also be repurposed as a really helpful rubric for figuring out if you are saturated or not. You know, because I think if you can take an inventory of what is in my life right now that I want to make sure I'm still showing up for, I think that can start to help you evaluate, do I have extra energy and time left over that I want to dedicate to other people while still maintaining all of these things that are also important to me? And when you take that inventory, you may find, oh yeah, totally, I can do that. Or you may be like, "Mm, you know, actually, I think if I still want to maintain all these friendships or this project that I'm working on with my family member or whatever, that maybe now is not a good time to be bringing on another relationship of, yeah. of a particular size or shape, right? Again, the, the commitment, you know, time commitment, energy commitment of a relationship may be smaller, bigger, depending on what it is. So I do think that it comes down to like, either you need to get clear on what your limits are up front Or you need to get really good at having the awkward conversation of telling someone that you've overcommitted and Mm. you can't actually offer what you thought that you could offer Mm. up front. Yeah. So just two pieces I wanted to add to that, because I think both of what you said is is really valuable. And I guess first is just that thing of even if you look at, you know, say, oh, yeah, my relationships are all in a good place is just to realize that starting a new relationship or even pursuing a new relationship will take time and energy from something else. So I think that's, that's another way to look at it of where do I have this in my budget, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> of time and energy? Is it like, cool, I'm going to take some of the energy that I'm putting into like Fortnite right now and like, cool, I'd rather spend that somewhere else that's more fulfilling. Awesome. That's great. But if it's like, I barely have the mental energy and time to to do the things I want to do or to hang out with the people I want to hang out with, then it's like, mm, maybe I don't have this in my budget. But then the second piece I wanted to add to that is to go back to what this question asker mentioned about, but what if it was a comet or a friends with benefits type relationship is, yes, I think getting clear with yourself about what, like how much of you is available, you know, time and energy wise and being okay with these are the relationships I'm interested in and realizing not everyone's going to want to do those, but it's okay to let go of the some guilt or shame that might come up about wanting that type of relationship and say, this, this is what I have that's available and that's okay to, to want that or to look for those things. And hopefully there's some other people in the same boat. So I want to pose a question to the two of you. Okay. Because a few months ago I came across this rubric for 
figuring out whether or not you should commit to a particular project. And mm. I've chewed on this a lot and I've wondered, ooh, could you apply the same rubric to relationships or is this an oversimplification that can't really be applied to human relationships? So I want to pose it to you. Yeah. You tell okay. me what yeah. you think. Okay. But basically the rubric was, okay, if you're considering about whether or not to take on this particular project, imagine that this project is going to take twice as much time, energy, and money as you think that it's going to. Whoa. And it's only going to be half as profitable mm. as you think that it's going to. Right. Or you're only going to get half the benefit that you think that you're going to get. Do you still want to do that project? If so, yes, go for it. And if no, then don't do it. <laughs> so do you think that that can also be applied to relationships? Now, profitable is weird well, to think about relationships. Yeah, right. it's like, That's if a it's, weird way to... If, if, yes, if I imagine yeah, this is actually going to take twice as much as my time and energy as I think it's going to, and I'm going to get half as much, what, fulfillment, enjoyment out of it as I think that I'm going to, do I still want this relationship? Or do you think that's an oversimplification? I, the, the twice as much time and energy part or t or you could say money or whatever, but to me it's more like time and energy are the real obstacles more than money for dating. I know like money can help with dating, but really it's the energy and time that at least in my experience are the ones that you're short on. I think assuming it's going to take twice as much of those as you expect is great advice. Actually Probably accurate. And yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the profitability part. Even if you try to think of it yeah. metaphorically, that, that one's hard. Well, it's hard to measure. Yeah. It's hard to measure and it's hard to like future plan for that in some way, because right. I mean, I guess it's more just, you're doing a thought experiment like, well, this may not go as well as I expected to right now when I'm in the throes of NRE, do I still want to sure. do it? And I guess that's mm -hmm. an interesting question to pose for yourself. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I would probably say no, like in terms of, <laughs> but that I'm not in a polyamorous relationship. So that's probably where my head goes. One way to think of it, if it is more of that, not that I'm considering whether or not I date this new person, but more I'm thinking about, do I get out there and try to find a new relationship? You could do that of saying, okay, it's going to take, you know, twice as much of your time and energy on an ongoing basis as what you think. And it's going to take you twice as long to find someone to date or something like that, that, that also yeah. this to find good matches is going to be twice as hard as you think it is or something like that. And then is it still interesting? That could be a starting point. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah. So it sounds like what I'm hearing is maybe the first half of this of maybe just overestimate the amount of time, energy, resources it's going to take and then think about Am I still interested? Am I, is it still worth it? Do I still feel like I want to dive into this? Yeah. And then maybe the second part would be, okay, taking that into account, is there a different type of relationship or maybe even a different way of fulfilling this desire that, that, that would take less of those things and that yeah. maybe would get me close to as much reward or maybe even the same amount. And what I mean by that is something like if maybe it's just physical touch and it's like seeing if there's a cuddle party nearby mm -hmm. or maybe just increasing physical touch with your existing partners or friends, or it could be just, I want to feel like I'm being more social and I'm not just playing Fortnite all the time or, you know, whatever it is for you. Right. I'm not just you keep dunking on Fortnite, Fortnite today is well, your thing. People put a lot of hours into this game, you know, yeah. uh, or, you know, binging YouTube videos or whatever it is, or TikTok or something, right? Of saying like, okay, I'm doing this, but I'd rather be doing something more fulfilling to me. 
maybe that's reaching out to your friends or, you know, finding a new like tabletop gaming group or starting a D&D campaign or, you know, like there could be something else. I mean, D&D campaign is probably a bad example of something that takes less yeah, time. Yeah, that takes a lot but... of time. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> so much. But anyway, just, just something to consider that, that maybe there's another way to satisfy this need, or maybe it is just admitting to yourself, yeah, I really just want to friends with benefits. And maybe that'll be a little bit hard to find, but like that's what fits my life and that's what I want. So great. And own that and be okay with that. Wow. Well, we did it. We got through some questions. I really, like you said, Dedeker, I do really enjoy this. It's it's very these interesting. These are great questions. Yeah, these are great questions. It's interesting to see what's going on in people's lives. And it's great for us also to be able to like answer these questions for ourselves and kind of look deeper into, well, if I were in this position, what would I do? So I love that. Thank you for yet again, another opportunity for us to learn right along with our listeners. We really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So this week we have a question to ask you on our Instagram stories. And that is, how do you recognize when you're polysaturated? I am very interested to hear people's responses. And the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is in this episode discussion channel, in our Discord server, or you can post on our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Bavanera. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boy's easy opening, smooth pouring container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money.